Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Stian Wiedemann, the man who refuses to accept a title and lives for freedom. So today I get the opportunity to, uh, to dive into this man's life. Uh, he, I stumbled across him on the internet, the interwebs, and we connected, and I just loved his vibe. And so here we are connecting and going to get a little bit of his story and go into some of his passions today. So welcome, brother. appreciate you being on today. Oh, it's awesome to be here. It's good to finally, finally connect with you and just jump on here and, you know, talk and tell a little bit about the story and hopefully inspire someone or give someone some kind of lesson that they can learn from my experiences. I have no doubt that we're going to do that, my friend. I have no doubt whatsoever. I've been consuming some of your content online and obviously you have a fantastic energy and you're bringing the heat every chance you get. So I really appreciate that about you. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for putting yourself out there and being a light. And um, let's travel back in time, man. Let's get a little bit of, of background on yourself and uh, so we can get a little color around what shaped your life. Where did you grow up? Awesome. So born, born in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, very interesting fact. Actually, I will now tell your listeners something that a lot of people don't even know about me. I was technically born, well, if you say the hospital, I was born in Cape Town as such. But we lived on Robben Island, where Nelson Mandela was actually imprisoned. Really? And we lived on a small little island. And my mom has to travel over the ocean to go to the hospital, you know, just so that I could get born. And then every day she would travel back to go back to the small little island. And we stayed there for about a year and a half, two years, because my dad was a prison warden. Really? Um, my, my biological father, yeah, he was actually uh, a prison warden. So... It was quite interesting. I mean, I think we was about two, two and a half years. They moved off uh, Robben Island. They moved to more the mainland of Cape Town. Um, and if I had to go into that same kind of story, at the age of three, uh, my parents decided to get divorced and my biological father decided to sign me off and say, it's okay, I'm not your, I'm not your child anymore, which, which was quite interesting because this is an interesting fact. I only learned this lesson many, many years later is that because of that one thing, that one event that happened, I kind of took with me this not being good enough kind of thing with me all the time. So to me, it was always this competition. But that was just an, an interesting fact I wanted to throw out there just because you started with the whole birth thing. <laughs> yeah, so that's crazy, cool. man. So what were the circumstances leading up to that? Was he just not a family man or was there something else going on? Yeah, so I... I have actually no idea, to be honest with you, like, that was the thing between my two parents, uh, you know, my mom and my biological father. But at the age of three, I know that she had enough and she decided that she was going to go her own way. And obviously, she wanted me to go with. And she, I don't know what the circumstances were behind it, but he literally signed me off. Um, I saw him once when I was 12 years old. My mom said to me, hey, oh, just so you know, by the way, that is your biological father. I didn't even know that up until that point. Wow. Met him, spent, spent one holiday with him for like a week, and I haven't seen him since. And I'm 35 now. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Really. That started like a ripple effect, which I only would know about later on in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what came next for you? Did, did you guys, I mean, I know you're not in uh, South Africa at the moment. You're uh, you kind of yes. a globetrotter. But uh, what came next for you as a young man growing up? Did you did you go into schooling in uh, South uh, South Africa or no? 
Yes, definitely. So look, I was always a martial artist. Like this is where my love for sport and fitness came from. So mm-hmm. when I was six years old, well, pretty much five years old, I started with martial arts, mm-hmm. started kickboxing, um, did kickboxing for a long time, did really, really well, got chosen for the national team. Um, then I was supposed to go to black belt, but back at that time, you know, when you're a brown belt, um, they said to you that you had to wait until you were 16 before you can become a black belt. So to me, martial arts was everything at, at school. Like I was always chasing this thing of wanting to be a black belt and I would get close to black belt, even with Taekwondo, and we would move to the next place and I wouldn't get to black belt. So that was, I would say martial arts was my big driver at school, but sports in general. Like, I don't know, you guys obviously don't play rugby, but rugby is, is one of our big things. It's currently the Rugby World Cup. Tomorrow is actually the World Cup final between South Africa and England, which is going to be quite intense. Um, so sport's always been part of my life. I mean, I was I was doing rugby, I was doing cricket, I was doing athletics. Like, it's always been a sporty guy, national, uh, natural sportsman. Competed internationally in taekwondo, did all these kind of things. So it made sense to me when I finished school to kind of go into something that was sport. Okay, so I went to university originally, wanted to go to university, said, okay, I'm going to study sports science. But now the person who I am does not really confine to to those rules of having to go to a university and stick with those rules. So it uh, lasted about 10 months and I did really, really well. I mean, I had these amazing marks, but it was just not for me. And I said, nah, I'm not going to do that. From there, to give an idea, I globetrotted to England. So I said, well, university is not my thing. I'm going to jump on a plane and go to England and see what happens if I go to England. 19 years old, never traveled before in my life. I'm going to go to England. Took my younger brother of 18 with me and kind of had to look after him while going overseas for the first time in my life. That was a a very, very ridiculously interesting experience. I lived on the street for a bit, ended up in jail for a couple of hours trying to help out a friend. Uh, he was in this massive fight, so I was trying to help him and protect him. And we got thrown into jail. It was quite ridiculous. Uh, like I've learned many, many lessons. Like England was about a three month, a three month trip for me. Um, you know, when I came back from, so I had the university part, then I did the England thing. And when I came back, you know, just finding a job was was the first thing. So it was my first real job out of school. You know, I was going to find. Back in the day, it was like. You know, listening to the parents, you've got to do a job. This is the way it's supposed to be. You've got to follow the path, you know, the white picket fence story, that stuff. So Once that's again, a, I do not do. So that's a universal story oh, yeah. then, huh? Yeah, just. Uh, I think it is a universal story. Hey, I think everyone wants us to, to follow this path. It's like they think that if you follow this path, that is going to be the be all and end all. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was a tough one. I, I couldn't really follow that follow that kind of path i always wanted like if you had to say i had to go left i would trickle a little bit to the left but then go really right and then go straight in the middle as well just to see what's <laughs> going on there as well i, I always have yeah. to see everything yeah that's, that's just, great i'm very curious that's great man yeah i mean when we were yeah. talking off mic you said one of your highest values is freedom and i and that's one of the things yeah. i think drew me to you so i'm curious why england why did you uh why did you choose england from south africa so back in the day, it's, it's changed now over the years. We had this program where it was, was pretty much the only country that we could do um, from South Africa, like a working holiday. So you could go on a working holiday with a visa thing because that's a big thing. Having a South African passport, being a travel lover, it's really difficult. 
because we have a lot of restrictions on our passports where we need visas and we can't just go to another country and go and work there. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so they had this program where we could go and go and work there. So I like worked in a pie factory. I worked in a chicken factory and, and, and did all these crazy, like sold energy stuff. And I don't know what crazy stuff it was just more about experience. I wanted to do something different. And I think the biggest thing for me also was I wanted to be as far as possible away from home. Mm. To me, it was like, I didn't want to be at home. I just wanted to see what the world was like. Right, right. What were some of the lessons you were picking up at this point? You're still a pretty young man at this point, right? You're right, 19, 19, 19 20 years, years old. old. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So for me, I think the big thing was is putting yourself out there. Look, it's a twofold thing. So for me, the big lesson was, yes, on the one side, you don't know what's going to happen. You ne- we never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But putting yourself out there gives you the opportunity to experience something different. It's not necessary to say it's going to be a good thing. But <laughs> if, if you are okay with those kind of things happening to you, it does broaden your perspective. And it's funny, if I think back to it now, London was originally the thing that opened the doors for me. It created more curiosity because it was probably one of the toughest experiences up until that point of my life. Okay? It was one of the most toughest experiences I ever faced. But it made me grow up. Within three months, I probably aged like 10 years in a good way, not in a bad way, like learning lessons and having to suddenly adapt as fast as possible. I mean, you, you're getting to London, you're 19 years old. You've never, ever traveled in your, in your life. You speak a different language because remember, England's my, uh, English is my second language. It's not my first language. Mm. It's my second language. So getting to another country, I mean, I'm fresh out of school, half of a university, <laughs> going there, taking my little brother with, he's fresh out of school, and getting to, to the bus station where we are supposed to leave to the destination, which is six hours away from London, to get to this job. We get there and there's no bus. Like the buses are just not going. Then having to find these hotels and we, we're ending up in these dodgy places, sleeping on these dodgy places where there's cockroaches going over the mattresses and like looking after my little brother, but also going like, holy crap, I don't know what's going on here. This stuff is weird. I've never experienced these kind of things. And just learning to adapt. I think that was my first experience of saying, you know what, sometimes you're going to be thrown in the deep end. And the sooner you can learn to adapt Mm -hmm. to these things, the better life or the easier things become because you can see things from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there has to be a certain, I think, self-esteem or self-confidence that you carry with you as a young man to, I mean, that's a, that's quite a distance to go from South Africa to England. I mean, basically across the globe in the vertical, in the vertical direction there. But I mean, you know, there had to be some part of you that was basically, you know, built for this in some way, shape or form. Did you, did you grow up sort of self-sufficient and adventurous or was this something that you did on a whim or, or what? It's weird. It's, 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 it's interesting that you would ask that question because if I had to think about it now, look, I've always been the humor. If you've seen some of my videos, you know, the crazy, funny, like put pot on my head kind of, I've always been that guy. Like at school, I would stand up. It was my first day in a brand new school. I would get up on the chair and just start singing like in front of the whole school. <laughs> and they would like treat me as like, like I would do that stuff. Um, and I would just do crazy stuff. So I don't know. I just, I didn't grow up that way, but it was just, maybe it was just something that was in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I just, I wanted to be adventurous. Look, not for one moment while I was doing it, was I confident? Not, not at all. I think, 
I've always been a guy that would jump in head first and then figure stuff out whenever mm-hmm. it happens. Like, I mean, if we get to later of my story where the real stuff starts, the juicy stuff starts, then I'll give you an examples of how I, you'll hear how I just jump into stuff. And a lot of the times it doesn't work out, but I do learn a lot of the lessons from that. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's interesting. I mean, so what would the payoff then be like, you know, a lot of times when you see people, uh, like what your example was jumping up on the desk and singing in front of the class, a lot of times when you see people do that, there's a payoff, right? There's a psychological payoff. Maybe it's attention. Maybe it's, you know, some sort of gratification that people pull from that. Um, but jumping into like an entirely new country and sleeping with cockroaches, that's a little bit different animal. So it makes me wonder, you know, what was the payoff for you at this point? What were you seeking or, or what were you finding out about yourself and, and life at this moment? I think at that moment, uh, purely the, the urge to, there's some kind of curiosity always been inside me. Mm-hmm. The curiosity to see what is out there. Because I think it's also, it's very dependent on where you grow up. Like a mindset of depending on where you grow up is very limited sometimes. Like the people around you could be people that like a lot of people I grew up with never even wanted to go out of South Africa. Like to them, it was like, I don't want to leave the borders. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? How would you not want to leave? Just go see what is out there. Go, go, go see what life is all about. Because in my opinion, like you can't, you can't give your opinion if you haven't experienced a lot of those things yourself. Mm. And I think that that's what happens a lot of time. I feel that a lot of people want to give their opinions, but they've never even be close to being in that situation. Yeah. It's like me. Yes, I can have an opinion about how someone's child is behaving, but I'm not a father, which means I can have my opinion in my head, but technically I can't really say anything to you because I have no idea I've worked with kids. I mean, I was a youth coach for six years, but there was a difference because I worked with a kid and they would go to their own home. They wouldn't come back with me home. And I'm sure that's where the dynamics change. So I think it was always been this curiosity thing with me. Mm. So uh, was there something happening uh, for you in South Africa at that point that where that caused you to want to leave? Or what was life like uh, growing up in South Africa? Was it a harder yes. life than you're experiencing? Or So it's been interesting. I think when we grew up, like if you listen to the history of South Africa, there was obviously a lot of stuff that's happened in the past. A lot of it's been blown out of proportion. A lot of stuff is not true. Like it's always like it is. I mean, that's how things are. The stuff you see in the news is not always the truth. Um, but at that time, it was always like we knew that the future of our country was not in the best hands. Like the future was not necessarily going to be the best. So I think and hence me sitting in Mexico at the moment is the same thing. 20 years, well, not even to, or let's say 15 years or whatever later, it's a similar kind of thing where it was always about the things, the circumstances, the opportunities in that, in, in, in the country wasn't that great. So for me, it was always about, is there a possibility for us to go somewhere else and build a new life somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was what, that was another drive of seeing, is there a potential opportunity to go somewhere else and see if it's better? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, man, obviously the news is crazy, especially nowadays, but you know, and, and you're yeah. right. It, it, a lot of things get blown out of proportion. My wife is from Canada, so we've we've had some experiences with people moving to Canada from South Africa, and they were telling us of some horror stories that they experienced in terms of just like the purchasing power uh, being eroded 
from their money. The taxation was like off the charts crazy. They were just, they were having a tough time making a life there as, you know, like a middle-class person, you know? And so they, they came to Canada looking for more opportunity, but it, it seems like that environment though would create, you know, more of an adventurous personality, but it's interesting that you said, you know, yeah. how you have friends who are like, no, nah, I'm never leaving, man. It's the same thing for me growing up in a small town in the States. You know, I have people that I, you know, I find on Facebook, they're still living in the same house <laughs> that they grew up in and have no right. intentions right. of leaving. But again, they have an opinion on everything. Yeah, but it's, in, it's interesting that you mentioned the whole Canada thing. I am sitting in Mexico now. That is the plan for us as well, is to eventually to immigrate to Canada because yeah. it, for South Africans, as an example, it's the easiest way to get in. And now if you look at all the laws and that, it is one of the easiest way for us to get in. And and I can agree with you. There are some very horror stories of what happens. But then again, that happens, I think, in all countries. All of them have their horror stories. And right. nothing is always greener on the other side. We all can think that it is. But everyone's got their own problems. Um, and yes, it's funny you would also say about South Africans. Like a lot of the people I've spoken to that have met South Africans have all met adventurous South Africans. I think South Africans are generally known to be adventurous. The people that are willing to go outside, they are all adventurous. But I think it's literally about the chalk or the cheese side. It's, it's the extremes. It's either the people that want to stay at home and not do anything or the people that are super adventurous. There's no middle point. It's even the middle class in South Africa is starting to disappear completely. Mm. It's also that... You either have the rich end or you have the poor end. There's no real middle class anymore. Yeah, what's what's causing that? Do you think politics? Yeah, that's it's politics. Yeah, it's just too much politics. There's there's too much stuff of, and I don't want to go into political thing, but the thing is, is there's there's too many. They're trying to right a wrong which wasn't nest. It was a wrong, but it wasn't. Some of it wasn't really. It was blown out of proportion, mm-hmm. and you do not move forward by trying to fix will happen in the past. Yeah. Like you, you staying constantly in the past. And what is happening is everyone is being reminded. So a kid that's growing up now is being told about what happened in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mm-hmm. So now they are creating a hate based on things that never, ever happened with them or to them. It doesn't even happen to their parents. It kind of happened to their grandparents. Mm-hmm. So you're creating a culture of hate by looking to the past and not the future. Yeah, we I think we do a bad job of that here in the U.S. as well. You know, a lot of the the race relation things. I know South Africa had its issues with yeah. that, and I think I saw something about the um, sort of recapture of farmland to redistribute it to old tribes or something. And it's a big deal, and a lot of people have been hurt and injured. It's you know, it's definitely a you know rough a rough place to be, right? But um, yeah. you know, not to get too far down that rabbit hole, but you know, South Africans in general, I think brought with them a spirit of adventure you had to right to to you know to settle that area right it was it was you know there was there was there was nothing really there in terms of like early civilization you know when people moved in and made a life and uh it's interesting that so many people that i have met from south africa have this view of you know hey you got to get out and see what else there is you know and I, i feel like that culture that that sort of civility that south africa has engendered um, has created that in a lot of people to see, hey, what is there? What what more can I experience in this world? Definitely. I, I can totally agree with you on that. I mean, if I could just look, look, I haven't been to Australasia or New Zealand or that area, but I've been to South America, I've been to North America, I've been to Europe and, and been to Asia. Uh, yeah, so I've been to many and obviously Africa. So it's a lot of the continents I've already covered. 
and there is definitely a difference between being in Africa and the other places. Mm. A, a simple example would be the connection. Mm. Like if you say North America, you are connected, even though America, the States is massive. You know, you obviously have the different states is massive. You can go to Canada, you can connect to Mexico, you can go straight down to Central America. We have to completely leave the continent by a ship or something or a plane to get away. There's no quick connection. <laughs> it, it sounds weird, but there's no quick connection. So we have no other choice but to be adventurous. Right. The shortest international, and I'm talking about proper first world international kind of flight to get to a first world kind of country, is 12 hours. Oh, wow. That's, that's a normal to us. I mean, for me, last year I was in, in Orlando in Florida. It took me 30 hours to get there. That is a normal. To get 50? to the state. As in five 50, zero? Three, three, three zero. Three zero. It will take me 30 hours to get there. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Wow. I never even thought of that. But yeah, I could see that, you know, as a, as a freedom lover, it would feel very stifling to know that you are that far away from going somewhere else. Yeah. It, it, it's frustrating. I mean, I sometimes just listen to the people that uh, take Europe as an example. They're like they get in the car and they go to France or they go to Brazil, you know, they go to Brussels. Or they go, and I'm like, I wish, I wish we had those opportunities. That would be amazing. I would love to do that. <laughs> amazing, brother. Amazing. Well, so you, you went to England. You, you brought your little brother with you. You guys obviously survived because here you are today. Uh, yeah. So what was the next step in your journey? I mean, obviously, there have been quite a few iterations of, of your life. But what was next in, in your journey? So what happened is as soon as I came back to London, uh, from London, found a little bit of, you know, the odd job here and there, I then met, met a girl, <laughs> met a girl like nine, well, it's a couple of years ago now, but uh, I met the, the girl that would eventually become my wife. Mm. Um, we, we would be together for nine years. Um, we would be together. Like I met her, I'd say about six months after coming back from London, met her, Clubbing, I was a big clubbing kind of guy. Once again, adventures. I was a DJ for ten years, as an example. <laughs> I even did that. I did everything. I just enjoyed doing. <laughs> so, so I was a DJ. That's how I met her in the club. Just so you know, um, I, I was a DJ for ten years. Uh, we we stayed together. We we. I started my business after about a year of us being together. Mm-hmm. Started a fitness business. Two thousand and seven. Um, I decided to become a youth coach. Um, started researching because that's when I said, you know, these odd jobs are just not me. Right. I need to do something of fitness. Like I can't do the normal employee thing. Like me sitting in an office. I remember this specific job that I had before I went into the fitness side of things was I sat in a small, small little office with this guy and he smoked 30 cigarettes a day. And I sat right opposite him in inhaling and it was like, this is ridiculous. I can't sit here. I remember eating bread every single day. And this, and this one, like my manager said to me, dude, you're getting a big butt. And I'm like, why are you looking at my butt? What's wrong with you? I'm just eating bread and sitting here. This is not me. I, I just don't enjoy this. Like I was selling timber as an example. This was in, I mean, what, why? This was in London? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 not London. When I came back, after coming back. Oh, you came from, into South Africa. Yeah. So I was short in London. This is the thing. I'm an adventurer, guys, and I try things out. And I go completely crazy. I was there for about three or four months. And then I had to come back because I was just in the trouble, too much in trouble. Um, so I came back, got the job after like six or seven months, you know, messed around with this and that, and then started my own fitness business. Mm-hmm. So I started the fitness business, like I said, and became a youth coach. That makes sense to me at the time because I wanted to work with the kids. I really enjoyed 
the speed and agility stuff. Like I really enjoyed those kind of stuff. Became became the coach. Really struggled to get things off the ground. Uh, it was tough. I mean, like any business, when you start out, it's really really tough. I remember having this bag of equipment, and and I would put it in the trunk of my car. Now. I'm not 100% sure what the conversion would be on miles, but I did about 3,000 kilometers a month wow. driving with my car. That's and I think like a kilometer 1,800 miles. Yeah, 1,800 miles, okay, every yeah. single month. I did driving around Johannesburg to, to schools and wow. to the kids' houses to train them there just to make a little bit of money and to get my business off the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so slowly but surely, I started building the business. was doing okay. It wasn't doing too bad. And then my, my Taekwondo coach, uh, he approached me and he said to me, don't you want to open like a gym, like a fitness kind of martial arts and fitness center? And obviously I was saying yes, because I would come in and do the conditioning stuff because at that time I already started helping out with the Taekwondo team. I was part of the Taekwondo team. Um, I was helping out the strength and conditioning stuff. Um, so he said to me, why don't we just open a facility? It just makes sense. So I said, okay, cool. We'll open a facility. Within three months, we grew that facility to 100 people. Like the kids were coming in. It was doing really, really well. And then like sometimes it does, the business partnership just went crazy. Mm. Uh, lost, lost pretty much everything. All the investment, everything in there just went sour. The whole relationship, everything went, went sour. Was, was down and out for a bit. Um, took my little bag of tricks, my, my bag of equipment, and just kept on driving around. Uh, looking for an opportunity, just looking for an opportunity to get my foot in the door. Um, I remember, did you want to ask a question? Yeah, I was just curious. So what is, uh, so what prompted the partnership to dissolve? Uh, it was interesting. Like, you know, we, when you get these messages, like the two of us had a joint, we had a joint uh, bank account, mm-hmm. like a business account. Sure. So I would, I would get the SMS, you know, like a message when, when a payment goes off or someone, you know, withdrew money or anything. And he would like, like withdraw the money like three o'clock in the morning, two two thousand rand, three thousand rand, four thousand rand, and the money would just go gone. Wow! Like, and then I would ask him, "So, what are you doing with the money?" Now, my mom doesn't have groceries, so he's buying. And I'm like, I'm a good guy in that way. Like, I feel for it because like I want to help people, but we are it's a business. Like, we are losing all our money here, and he just didn't want to stop spending the money. He was really like feeling, "Well, I'm I'm doing this business just as much as you, so I can take the money." Like, this is the start of a business. We need to still build. Like, we don't have anything yet. Wow. We, it, we have 100 clients, but we need a cash flow. We need all these things to kind of work in our favor. Mm-hmm. And I just got to the point where I said, well, this is after three months. Just imagine what it would look like after a year or two. It just didn't make sense to me. And I didn't want to go down that trouble because the rental at that specific place, he signed the lease and I came in more of a, a partner of wanting to help with the coaching that, but luckily I didn't have that, uh, you know, the, my name on the lease and those kind of things. And I just saw trouble as like, if I'm going to be roped into this whole agreement with the lease and that it's a lot of money, it's a lot of skin in the game and I'm just not going to be a part of this. Mm. So I kind of walked out. I, that see. Was, I see. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, cash flow is, you know, cash flow is the lifeblood of the business. So you can't have a business partner that's taking from an account in the middle of the night and then justifying exactly. it. It makes no sense. Exactly. Whatsoever. But you guys were 50-50 partners on this? Yes, yes, yes. Wow, that's crazy. Yes. That's so, crazy. so, I mean, that's why I just said, no, it's just not worth it. I'll just walk away and I'll do my little car thingy where I drive around and just continue to figure stuff out. Right. Yeah. So you're back to so, that and then uh, picked up, I guess, some of your old clients at this point? 
yeah so what happened is, is like obviously i was i was still helping luckily for me i didn't tell those kids that i wasn't going to train them anymore i was figuring everything out so i was still serving them and i was still helping those kids while doing the gym thing with with the partner um so luckily i didn't lose out to them i could just continue with them without you know worrying about the business side of things the other side and i drove around and i remember the one day it was like i was really down and out um i was like i was trying and i couldn't get through and it didn't matter because I mean, driving around that much, you, you're thinking of maintenance on your car, you're thinking of gas, you're thinking of all these things. Like I was hardly making any money. I was making decent money, but if you take all the deductions, it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really down and out. And I remember going on, a, I think it was some kind of sports website in South Africa where they had all the names of the different clubs, like the national clubs and the provincial teams and all these different teams. Like different sports, hockey, rugby, netball, athletics. And I looked at all the email addresses of all the people and I emailed every single person on that list. Just saying, listen, yeah, I'm looking for an opportunity. I can offer this to you. I can really help. Just give me an opportunity. That's all I'm asking. And there was actually all of all of them, one guy replied to me. He was at the university, the local university, University of Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, come in and come and chat to him. And long story short, he let me then work with under-19 team. So I became the strength and conditioning coach for the under-19 rugby team at the university. And that helped because that kind of brought some kind of credibility to it because now it's a university team. So funny because I went to my high school and they just wouldn't hire me. My old high school, they wouldn't hire me. When I said I was a coach at the university, they hired me like this. Right. Then finally I became a consultant for them. Yeah, um, you're big time like, now, right? It's ridiculous how it works sometimes, but it is what it is. That's cool though, man. I mean, I think there's a lot of lessons in that. I mean, you, you know, just, uh, just, just taking the time to look up all those people, you know, and, uh, notate all those email addresses and send out that information, just asking for an opportunity just comes back to that, you know, that idea that if you don't ask, the answer is always no, you know, and you put yourself in a vulnerable spot saying, Hey, look, this is what I can offer you. And one person got back to you and that kind of kicked it off for you. Exactly. That that was my little foot in the door. Yeah. Um, went to the went to my local high school. They hired me, and then as I started training them, it was funny. Like I was I was training the kids at the school. The contract became bigger and bigger. They asked me to work with more teams. I mean, I started with the under fourteen team, just the under fourteen team. Mm-hmm. I eventually became the conditioning coach for. Under 14, 15, 16, and first and second team, rugby, hockey, and netball. So I was pretty much doing all the teams in the school. I was doing all the stuff for them. Gotcha. And when I was training them, a lot of the parents started asking me questions. And that brought up the idea, maybe it makes sense in my own little hometown where I grew up. Where I, Well, when I didn't grow up where I grew up part of it, and I went to high school, maybe I should open a gym. Yeah, it makes sense. So I started looking for a location, a smaller location, really small, a hundred square meters. It was small. Um, I had the smaller square meter thing and I started and within 10 months, that gym blew out of the water. It was really completely blowing out of its seams. And at that play, at that moment, I just decided maybe I should go to a bigger facility. It just makes sense. So I was driving around one of the main streets in, in, in the town and I saw this facility, which was 550 square meters. And sat, I remember I sat in this facility for over an hour, just sitting there and just looking at this empty space and, and trying in my mind to figure out what, what could this look like. 
Now, to give you an example, back then, CrossFit wasn't such a big thing. CrossFit was not yet such a big thing. But the whole strength and conditioning facility, because remember, in South Africa, we are generally 10, 15 years behind on a lot of the stuff. Okay. So at that point, when I'm talking about what a gym looked like, it was your usual planet fitness, mm. the machine kind of thing. That's what a gym looked If you said a gym, that was a gym. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really the functional training thing back then. And I came in and I remember I was probably one of the first guys in South Africa that had a functional training gym. Over the years after I opened, a lot of more guys came in. And I mean, I think even till today, a lot of people told me if my gym was not in the town, it was actually in a better location in one of the biggest cities, I would have absolutely blown it out of the water because the people in my town, it was cool to be there with them. But, you know, some people perceive the costs that you can charge, the fees you can charge can't be the same as in the big city and those mm -hmm. kind of things. But did really, really well. I mean, for six years, I was actually at that facility. So what year was this when you started the gym? So I started the, it was the same year that I got married, 2010. In okay. 2010, I got married and I opened this facility. At the end of the year, I started moving. So I, I opened in the beginning of 2010, I opened the small facility for, for 10 months. So by about October, November of 2010, that's the same year that I got married. I got married in September of 2010. Then uh, in October, I decided to move to this new facility. Then it took me about, let's say, six weeks to, to do the painting and to get the equipment in and everything. And then the 9th of January, 2011, yeah, I think 2011, I then officially opened the bigger strength and conditioning, 550 square. I think it's about 6,000 square, uh, square feet. I think okay. it's about there. That's, that that's, was the Yeah, that's large, man. Yeah, that's, that's definitely yeah. a good-sized facility, no doubt about it. So you said CrossFit hadn't caught on uh, at this point in time over, over in South Africa. So you no, were, uh, were, you, uh, were you branding it as CrossFit at this point or just no. No, functional fitness? Yeah, for me, so I, by accident, I had the name SportCon. It happened by accident because I was big into the sport conditioning and, you know, sometimes when you have to pick a name to start a business, they tell you you have to pick like five names mm -hmm. and whichever is available, they'll start from the top. And this was like the third name on the list. The first two was taken. I was like, I didn't want this name. I just filled up the gaps. <laughs> <laughs> but it became the name. It just became the name of the business. Uh, oh, so, cool. yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite interesting. That's I mean, cool. I so you had set this place up like a CrossFit gym, though, with like the mats and the squat racks yes. and stuff like that? Yes. So I, had the, I had the turf piece. I had like a boot camp mat okay. where the people could go. That was like my martial arts thing that came in as well. Yeah. So we had the mat where the people would do like you know, the stomach kind of stuff, core exercises, those kind of things. We mm -hmm. did it. A lot of the ladies enjoyed that versus the harder carpet kind of thing. We had the turf piece where we had the prowler. Mm -hmm. We had monkey bars. I mean, I still remember my uncle bought this uh, monkey boss from scratch. He was like doing his little metal work there inside. It was really fun. Let me tell you a caveat side story quickly because this is an interesting sure. story. Yeah, when, I was set, when I was setting up, when I was setting up the, the gym, so so my uncle, he lived on a farm. He passed away in 2015. I mean, he he was brilliant. He helped me set up that gym from, you know, from scratch. He bought this monkey bars to me, and, and what I wanted to do was I have a tractor tire, one of these big, like real big tires. You know, the guys were flipping the tires, and I was just seeing these things in these YouTube videos, and I'm like, I've never done that. I need to do that. I also wanted in my gym. 
I'm going to add it. So we went to the farm to go get this tire and there was like probably 50 of these tires laying there on the grass. And he says to me, just go pick one and you can come. You just put it on, on, on the bucky. Well, a bucky is like a little big SUV kind of thing. We call it a bucky okay. in South Africa. Bucky. Just so you know. Because I know sometimes I'm when learning I say new words, words man. Not, yeah, I'm learning new words. Yeah, you, uh, and netball. Is. What is netball? I was going to ask you earlier. Netball is just a type of sport. Okay. So it's, it's, if you had to look at it, you would think it's basketball. Okay. Um, but it's not, it's not really bouncing the ball on the ground. It's like just the goals. It's mostly a goal sport. Okay, got it. That's right. So it would be like the national goals sport, I would say, almost in South Africa. The guys would play rugby and the girls would play netball. I got you. And it has a hoop like basketball? Exactly the same. Yeah, it's got a hoop, everything. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was going to ask that earlier and I forgot until you brought, the, brought up the vocabulary piece. <laughs> no, no problem. So I was at this farm and I was looking at all these tires and all of them looked really, really great. And obviously I'm going to pick the biggest one because i got to look mean and, and, you know, I want to have this big tire so that it looks impressive. <laughs> and I remember my friend, he came with me because he has to help me load this, t- this tire onto the bucky. And I was looking at this tire and I was like, okay, I don't want that one. I want the one underneath it. And I remember I, I flipped the tire onto this tire and there was this massive nest of bees inside the tire. And I didn't know that. So I had these slops on and shorts on the farm, which was stupid. I should have had like shoes on, but I had slops on. I'm on the farm because I'm like just chilled out, getting the side flipping it. And these bees come out and I'm running. And I remember he still, and that's why I wanted to tell the story. I remember he said, it looked like one of these cartoons. You, you see this cloud of bees above my head. You see my feet flipping and you see the slops like jumping into the air. And you just see my feet spinning and running and you see all this bees with this cloud above my head chasing me and I'm just running away. I'm standing underneath like the water trying to spray myself, just getting away from these bees. I got stung like 20 times oh, by these man. bees. Jeez. It was ridiculous. But it was worth it because I got an awesome tie at the end of the day. So <laughs> yeah. Anytime you end the, end the story where, you know, I got stung 20 times by bees, but it was worth it because I got a tire, you, you know, it was, it was definitely a, some kind of tire for sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it was good times. I, I remember those kind of things. So, yeah, I set up the gym to have that whole feeling, to have the the grungy garage functional kind of thing. It was new at that time. It's what I really, I think it was because my market at that stage was the high school boys doing rugby. Now, think football boys, think football guys. It's it's these tough guys, egos. Like it's who's the toughest kind of thing. So I was building a gym based on around that kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah, that's really cool, man. And you said you blew it up really quick. Did you do anything specifically uh, to market that business or was it just in, in dire need in that area and people came to you? Oh, not at all. Not even a little bit dire need. Uh, I would say it was like I would give myself a little pat on the, on the shoulder. Yeah, like I've always been about giving good service um, and doing as much as I can going out of my way. And I think I really just did a good job by giving people a good service and getting people good results that people started talking. And it was a smaller town. So where a sm- and you'll hear at the, later in the story, this smaller town eventually worked against me. Mm. Well, uh, now it worked in my favor. Like if something goes good, it's great to live in a small town because people talk. When something goes bad, it's horrible to say in a small town because people talk. Because <laughs> people talk, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same thing, but just the opposite. <laughs> So true, man. So true. I can relate. I mean, I grew up in a small town as well. So I know exactly what you mean when you say people talk. It's, there's no escaping it. Everyone knows everyone. 
That's true. Cool deal, man. So you you um you got your you got from a smaller space, you went into a larger space. Uh, business is still good at this point. You're training kids. Things are going well. Yeah. So so training kids in the beginning was mainly the kids, but then it started expanding into the adults. Like I said, the, it, the gym idea came from adults asking me they want to lose weight. They It's like the parents of the kids I was already training. So they were seeing me already. I mean, the parents were already paying for their kids, so it made sense for them just to keep paying me for them as well. Right, and they so knew you, so yeah. That as well. They had that kind of trust factor already. Um, so I was doing well, but then it started moving more towards the facility was for external people. It was for the adults, and I was doing all the training for the kids at the school. Mm-hmm. So it became like that's where it started shifting. And that's where it started creating a bit of a gap for me as well because now my attention was split. It couldn't be one thing anymore. It was starting to split because now I had to make a choice. Do I spend most of my time at the school being a consultant for the school where they're paying me a salary or they're paying me a consultancy fee? Or do I focus more on my business, which is the thing that I want to build for my future family? Like at that point, remember, I just got married. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking long term, what is the vision? What are we going to do going forward? Those kind of things. Yeah, for sure. So at this point in time, did you have anyone working with you or are you trying to do this by yourself? I had I had two coaches at that point. I um, started with one. Like it, it transitioned by me having one coach. And then what happened is I had this one boy that I pretty much trained from. He was like 16 years old. And I remember when he was like 18 or 17 and a half years old, his mom phoned me the one day and she said to me, listen, she really loves what I've been doing with him. He would love to do what you're doing once he finishes school. So when he finished school, he actually came to me and he became like one of the coaches that worked for me. And I was training him since he was like 15, 16 years old as well. Mm, Right on, right on. So yeah, that's not enough manpower to do uh, two separate locations uh, on any level. So were you pulling a lot of hours at this point and just getting blown yeah. out, burned out? Yeah, big time. And I mean, the, the, I would say another caveat to that, me being a curious guy, as always, me having, wanting to freedom, having a successful business in front of me, having a consultancy gig, I would say, which is super successful, having all that, but still being the person that I am being curious is where I start scratching where it's not itching. So what I started doing now is wanting to, you know, grow the business, wanting to learn more, having these big dreams, like no dream is too big for me. Never been. I've always do crazy stuff. Now I started looking and dabbling into online space and what is digital marketing and how can this build my business? And what is the one thing that's being sold all the time? The freedom, the laptop lifestyle. Now don't say those kind of things to me. That's like, like, waving drugs in front of a drug addict that kind of thing <laughs> to be honest with you it's like, I'm like oh, i don't even have to stay in this town anymore i could be anywhere i wanted to that's so amazing that, that kind of opened the door for me to start studying online and digital marketing kind of stuff big time were you were you studying online and digital marketing to continue to grow the the gym business or were you looking to do like remote coaching with it that's that's the funny thing. I think it started as me wanting to grow the business. But listening to the dream that's being sold, it was almost like what I was busy building in my mind was not good enough because even though it's super successful, the evidence is there that it's successful. The dream is that you could make so much money and you could be anywhere you want, 
So even though it started as me wanting to market the business better, doing better with the gym, my attention started shifting to the, the gym now becomes my second gig, which is technically my main thing. But now I start studying and putting all my attention on something else. So as soon as your attention goes somewhere else, you start opening gaps. Okay. So the gaps started opening a little bit, small gaps, not big gaps, small gaps. And that's when the, the day, the main day came in, which you read about a little bit. I, I call it Bloody Sunday now. I, I refer to it Bloody Sunday. You too's got a song called Bloody Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, Bloody uh, Sunday, baby. Yes, the 8th of December, 2013. That is the day the hammer fell. Um, we're supposed to go the next day on holiday, well-deserved December holiday. Like in South Africa, I don't know how it works in the States. I think it's obviously different because you guys have summer break and that. Mm-hmm. We have four different holidays over the year. And December seems is, is like our main holiday. It's like a month long. So December is when most people go on holidays. <clears throat> so I was ready to go on holiday and that. And we were busy packing. You know, you have a couple of words here and there, my wife and I. And before I knew it, there she was down the stairs. I heard the car in, in, in the garage and off she went. And she was gone. That was it. It was that. Just the surprise that you just had now is the surprise I had. It there was there was no precursor. There there was no warning. There was nothing. I mean, I was gonna go on a holiday the next day. That's uh, that's that's really hard to believe, right? Like you, I, there had to be something I, leading up to it, right? And up until today, I still don't know what exactly happened. Up until today, I still mm-hmm. don't know. Wow. Yeah, so I you, you can make your own assumptions, but mm-hmm. I have no whatever it was. But it was really, that's how surprising it was. Busy standing, I remember the wall, standing in front of this wall, bending down, packing, and, she, you know, like chirping and saying stuff, but but in a playful but fighting way. You know, sometimes you're joking around, but it's, it's a little bit hard. Oh, yeah. And the next moment, she's just like walking out. And, and, and I, like, first I'm thinking, okay, maybe she's going to shop, you know, she's just trying to blow steam or whatever. And she's just gone. And I'm trying to phone her and she doesn't answer her phone. And I'm phoning a friend. Friend says she doesn't know. I'm phoning her mom. Her mom's like, she doesn't know. And everyone's trying to get a hold of her to find out what the hell's going on. And I don't know what's going on. I mean, here, my wife, we're busy packing for holiday. And the next moment, she's gone. She just left. So have you spoken to her at all since then? Yeah. Well, obviously, we, I'll tell you. Okay, let me, let me tell you the story. And then you'll know how I, how I still spoke to her. So I'll tell you how, let me, let me tell you the story. I yeah, think that by would all be means, the best. go ahead. Um, so, so it was really difficult. I mean, I remember that specific day just before that my friend told me about the series called The Following by Kevin Bacon. He, it's like this following this serial killer, uh, which was quite funny because at the time, if I think back to it now, it was probably not the best kind of thing to watch about a serial killer like this full season. And I would just lay on the couch and just watch the season try and figure out what just happened to my life. Everything in a, in a moment's notice changed. There was no warning. I didn't know what was going on. And obviously you go into this place where you're confused. I was really, really confused about life at that stage. Try to phone. This lasted for a week, two weeks, for about three months. I kept on trying to figure out what was going on, asking, phoning, SMSing, you know, messaging her, asking her friends, trying everything in my power. I remember... It was her birthday, writing a thing on, on Facebook on a wall. She deleting it, telling her friends to tell me to take the stuff. And I was like, this is my wife. I don't know what's going on here. This is confusing. This is not the right person. Something's weird. Um, 
And then after three months, just before my 30th birthday, um, I actually got her back. I got her back to move into the house. I said to her, okay, let's now work on this. Let's, let's figure out what's going on here. Still don't know why she left in the first place. Okay. Um, long story short, tried and tried. And I eventually said to her, it's, it's, we, there's too much of a gap now. We've, we've grown apart within three months. Like you're a different person. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who you are. I don't know why this is happening in any case. So the August of 2014 is when I actually officially got divorced. So that was like a nine-month journey of <clears throat> still until this day. And I mean, it's been, it's 2019 now. Yeah. It's been five years. Yeah. I still don't know what happened. <laughs> That's insane, man. I mean, to have zero sign or zero, you know, indication that something was wrong or something is, you know, something needs to be addressed. But then to have her come back into the home and still not address it, like, that had to be really yeah. weird. Like I, I'm just the type of person I, I know myself, I would want some sort of closure around, Hey, you know, what, what was going on in the first place? Because I knew that if we wouldn't address that, then there's no hope of building anything from that point forward, you know? Exactly. I mean, that was really tough for me because I'm, I'm the same. Look, being a curious guy, the last thing I want is these unresolved questions. Like I, I keep on asking and asking, I would ask and I, and I wouldn't get an answer. And you could see the level of respect between two partners was gone, was just completely gone. I mean, here, here would be my wife. She'd live with me after coming back. She would go out until 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning and not tell me where she's going. And I'm like, we are trying to rebuild or trying to figure out what's going on, and you're just going out and just not caring anymore. Yeah. So something might happen. And look, don't ever think that I am blaming you at all. That's not the thing. It's, it's never it was just, it was interesting. They must, she must have had her reasons. I honestly don't know what the reasons are, but she had her reasons, obviously. Mm. We just never spoke about it. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Club chicks, man. Club chicks, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was a club guy, so I can't really say. <laughs> that's crazy, man. That's so hard to believe that to this day, you still don't really know what the impetus was for that. You know? Exactly. It would drive me insane. It did for a very, very long time. And, and it's weird. I think I got to the point where I literally completely erased that from my life because of what you just said. Um, having that unresolved thing and thinking about it constantly and trying to answer those questions in my head every single day, going over it a hundred, a thousand times, trying to think, but why, but why, but why? I, kept, I got to the point where it was just, it was just too much for me. I couldn't take it anymore. And if I think about it now, I really have to think hard and long about our time together. And this is a decade, 10 years of us being together, and I can hardly remember anything. Purely because I think, honestly, I think I just erased everything from it because I didn't want that constant feeling of, but why, but why, but why, so. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny how, it's funny how our minds work, right? Like I, I have a relationship story similar, only I know why we split up. <laughs> But it was yeah. a, it was a long one, and you know it sort of came out of the blue. But it was it wasn't a long time coming, and you know I probably should have ended it before it ended, and I didn't for whatever reason. But looking back on it now, I can remember almost nothing from that relationship, and yeah. I think a big part of that is comes down to just letting go. Like you, you I, I know you remember the lessons that you learned from that, right? I'm sure that you do. Yeah. Like I remember yeah, the definitely. lessons that I learned from that as well, but I don't remember any of the specific interactions. I can't remember any specific conversation that we ever even had. It's amazing. It's, 
it's interesting. It's exactly what you what you just said. I can't remember the specifics of like the stuff we would have done together. I can't remember those things. But I can, if I think back to it now, I can automatically tell you that things like communication wasn't great. Like if we wanted to to bump heads, if something is wrong, look, there will always be frictions in relationships. That is part of relationship. That's how you grow. You learn more about each other. You got to challenge each other in some kind of way, not in an aggressive and horrible way. But if you have a problem and 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 I am kind of triggering something in you, and you are my wife, you are my partner, you're whatever, you know, we need to talk about those things. You need to tell me why it's triggering you, or we need to figure out why it's triggering you. Because the last thing I want to do is upset you all the time, but not even know that I'm doing it. But we never dealt with those things. We would just kind of walk away and just leave it below the surface. So we would never really have a fight. And if I think back to it now, that's one of the worst things you can do is by not actually having that conflict and not having that communication and talking about these things because you grow more in those tough experiences and those tough conversations. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, dude, you're, you're so spot on right there. I think a lot of people underestimate the value of healthy conflict you know, and it's never fun and it's never comfortable and, and nor should it be. There should, I mean, there's always going to be some level of vulnerability and hopefully you're in a, in a position with someone, a partner, a, a spouse, you know, whomever that person is where you can be vulnerable and not have them use that as ammunition back against you, but understand that they're, that you're exposing yourself so that you can get to the root of the problem and move forward. And you see so many people, especially in today's world, where it's almost impossible to say anything to anyone without them getting offended or, you know, whatever, you know, phrase they want to use. Um, and we're missing out on that in a lot of a lot of ways. You know, we're missing out on the opportunity to get closer. Um, you know, I've, I've been through enough of this now to where I know that as hard as it is for me, because I'm not a huge fan of conflict. I don't know very many people who are. But as hard as it is to have a tough conversation, I know that if the person on the other side of the conversation is a high value individual, that we will be closer at the end of that conflict than we were before we started. And it sounds like that's what you guys were missing. I, I totally agree with you that. I mean, um, I'm obviously, um, I went into a new relationship a while after that. And that was the one of the biggest things I focused on first is having those conversations, talking about stuff, figuring these things out because it's important because I value that now. It is one of the biggest lessons I've learned. I mean, when I when I went through the divorce, suddenly there were all these guys and, and you know, even ladies that would come to me and ask me for advice and ask because suddenly I was the guy. Like I became this divorce guy. Everyone wanted to talk to me <laughs> about divorce. And I'm like, that's the last thing I want to talk about, but okay. And and that was, I would say, every time I would speak to someone, I could identify the communication as one of the biggest things. People just like, like you said, nowadays you can't say something because people are pretty much offended by anything you say. Mm -hmm. And I think that also overflows into a relationship. I'm not trying to offend you when we say these things. I am actually learning to grow with you. You are learning more about me. You learning what I look like when I'm vulnerable. I'm learning what you look like when you're vulnerable. And yes, if I really love you, then I'm not going to use it against you. If I don't, then I am going to use it against you. But that's the thing. That is life. Sometimes people use these things against you and sometimes they don't. But if you truly value that relationship, you got to have those conflicting situations. Even though it's horrible, I also hate it. But we got to do what we got to do. Yeah, 100%, man. I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's, you know, there's, there's a right and wrong way to do it, obviously. However... Yes. There's a couple of things in that that are really key that you mentioned, you know, this this idea of 
people being offended. I think a lot of times people forget that being offended is a choice, you know? Yeah. Um, and I experienced this a lot. I live in Arizona now. I grew up in the South in Georgia and, you know, a lot of people in the South have the Southern drawl, you know, they have this Southern accent and there's this association of stupidity that comes with that, right? If, if you have a Southern drawl, you're stupid or people from that area yeah. are backwards and, and ignorant. And so I, out here, okay. I get a lot of those jokes all the time, right? And I could be offended yeah. by that because I'm from there or I could just laugh along with them because they're ignorant and yeah. never really been to that area or, or don't know anyone from that area. It's a choice whether or not I choose to allow that to upset me or not. And people forget that. They give up their power in those moments. And the next thing you know, they're off center and upset. And it really, you know, it really didn't have to come to that. It's amazing. Exactly. And it creates this massive turmoil, which is so unnecessary. So I agree with you 100%. And a lot of the time, it's, it's in most cases, it's just a projection of how you are really acting. And that's why you get upset because, that's what you would do, and that's what's offending you. Exactly. So, exactly. It's funny how it works. For sure. For sure. There's a, I was actually reading uh, Psycho-Cybernetics this morning, and there was a great quote in the book. From, I forget the woman's name, but it was something to the effect of, when there are, magically, when there are no enemies on the inside, there are much fewer enemies on the outside. Yes. And, and I love that's that. Good. It's just super powerful. I love it as well. That's really good. So what happened there is, is that was the start of everything for me. Okay? The, the divorce was, or... Yeah, that, yeah. That, the divorce. That was the, that was the trigger that would set me on the path to where I am today. Mm. That, would, that would start everything for me. So at that point, yes, I opened a little bit of gaps by starting to focus on my online stuff, not focusing on my specific business, but wanting to do the location, independent, freedom kind of stuff. Okay. Yes, I opened the gaps there. Then I got thrown this curveball of the divorce, which kind of stumbled me big time and I was falling because I was trying to hide how I was really feeling. I cut myself off of everyone completely. I went completely Lone Ranger. Um, what I did is, is I remember all my friends, like we had similar friends, you know, we had the same friends or it was my friends. And then I introduced her to her to what, or to, you know, my friends to her. So what I eventually did is I just decided to cut ties with everyone. Because I couldn't get those answers I was looking for, I just felt like I didn't want to be around these people anymore. I needed to cut myself off completely. Completely. I'm talking about cold turkey, cut off, no friends, nothing. Really? I did that. Nothing. Um, so now at this point, I was just trying to do the business. But I mean, think about it. You, you're trying to concentrate, but you're drunk. It's, that's the best analogy to use. Mm. I am blown drunk out of my head. I can't see straight, but I'm trying to, to walk in a straight line. I'm trying to drive a car at 100 miles an hour. That, that was kind of the situation I was in. And at that point, I started delving into mindset and, and looking at the fact of mindset. Now, here was the interesting thing in, in, in the area that I grew up in South Africa in general, being an Afrikaans boy. Now, Afrikaans is my native language. Um, Afrikaans is, is a certain kind of, the same as what you said, the people from the South, the, the Afrikaans people are the same. They are known as the big rugby boys, but with the big, broad comer guys comes the stupid guy with that. That's the kind of mentality, and boys don't cry in that, you know, that kind of stuff. We, right. That was a big thing in our culture. So you say the word mindset, and the first thing people say is, what the hell is wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with me. I don't do mindset. That's a bunch of crap. So that's the mentality. And especially the, the town that I had my gym in where I lived, it was mostly Afrikaans people. So that was the mentality. So I started delving into getting myself sorted. 
figuring out what I was going to do with mindset, going to this side, going to that side, really diving into it deeper. And at that point, because I was starting to feel better and things were starting to make more sense, you know, I was starting to understand why I was anxious, why, you know, the awareness, I was experiencing the awareness. And because things were starting to work for me from a, from a mental and emotional aspect, I would say, um, I started actually forcing the people at the gym to do the same stuff. Said to him, you are supposed to do mindset because the reason you're not getting results is because your mindset sucks. That, that was my approach. Wow. I just told him straight, you, you suck. You need to get mindset sort of because it was working for me at that time. Mm-hmm. But it was purely because I was hurting. I was really, really hurting inside. And projecting, it's funny, we used projecting earlier, but I was projecting on all of them. I was projecting my pain on them, trying to force them down the same hole that I was currently in. Mm. And you could think that if you force people to do something, and now this is a gym that's been going at that point for a couple of years already. I mean, been going for three, four years in this facility, a, a year in the previous facility. People were used to a certain style. People were used to a certain flow of the business, how things were done. Now I suddenly come in, the owner, the founder, everything. And I just throw everything out. I just change everything. People did not like that. And then especially the culture that was in, people don't like change. Those are some of the people that would not even go out of the country. They wouldn't even go out of the town. Like a lot of those people that stay there, they are kids that were at primary school, they like high school, everything like from a young age. Started at, I think it's junior school, whatever you guys call it, something different. But like they would stay there from the age of five and they still there when they're 50 years old, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so the mindset thing didn't go down very well with these people. Um, and I can understand because I mean, trying to force what was working for me down someone's throat is not the best approach. Definitely not. Um, they might, people, people might need it, but they don't necessarily want it. <laughs> and in marketing and business, isn't that, isn't that what it's all about? Giving people what they want, what? but working with what they need. Yeah. Give them what they want and back end what they need. Right? It's like, you know, exactly. give them the abs. And then you can back in some mindset stuff in there, you know, if you give them the abs kind of a thing. Yeah. So my approach was, you need mindset. That's it. That was my approach. <laughs> like, the reason you are still fat is because your mind is screwed. That was my approach. So, but the question then is how and when or what brought you into this awareness that you needed to be focused on your mindset? So... At that point, now, if I tell you once again, at that point, it didn't yet make sense to me. Mindset was a new thing to me. A lot of things started making sense, okay? It started making sense to me. And I wouldn't really say that I knew why mindset was important at that point. It was just something new. It was interesting. I think it filled some of the gaps in my own personal life. My mental and emotional state, it filled some gaps. Having the awareness of understanding The reason my chest is closing up is because I'm anxious. And the reason I'm anxious is because I'm already projecting it, what is going to kind of happen in the future. And I'm already thinking worst case scenarios and I'm tying everything to what happened. So just starting to understand those things, you know, mindset started making a little bit more sense to me. And that's why I felt like everyone needed this. I became like a disciple of mindset, a completely disciple of mindset, which once again, I now know is not the be all and end all. It's one part of the equation. It's just one part of the equation. So you were doing what, like so books, I, seminars, like what, what were yeah, your... So I did, I did some certifications. I did some certifications and stuff. Um, I did those things, read the books, uh, learned from some of the guys. Um, I actually went to the Mindset Performance 
Institute Summit. They had a they had a summit back in the day. They started the Mindset Performance Institute in 2015. I actually went to the summit in 2015 in the States in Connecticut. I spoke on, which was funny if I think about it now. I spoke about overcoming obstacles six months after going through my divorce, and no one in the crowd even knew. Not even the people that were teaching me knew I was going through divorce. So I was still full of crap at that stage, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy man so yeah you, so, you jumped in with both feet though that's that's admirable yeah I, I that's me i tend to just jump well i'm not admirable i just like jumping in with both feet like i said to you that's that's kind of who i am yeah no i mean it not like you know admirable in like someone should bow down to your to you know yeah. to your magnificence but admirable in the sense that you know you recognize that there was a problem and you recognize that you had to do something about it and that wallowing in self-pity wasn't going to get you what you wanted. So rather than sit there like a tree that can't move or do anything different, you actually chose to make new decisions. And I feel like a lot of people that I run into, you know, we all do it from time to time, but a lot, I think the, a lot of the people that I run into that are struggling are in that space where they're just refused to see what they're in resistance of. So I think that yeah. movement just that movement piece is, is key. And it's one of those things that should be, or, you know, maybe should is the wrong word, but could be extremely useful to people who are in that place where they're just stuck, you know? Yes. I think that's, that's why I think that curiosity thing comes in as well, because you never, you never know. Mm -hmm. You never know that if this could be the thing that's actually going to help you. Like you could sit, you never know what you don't know. That That's what it comes down to. You don't know what you don't know. Like I decided to jump in and it worked. It really worked for me. It helped me to get out of most of the mental things, okay? But now because it was in that stage, I let the business slip a bit and clients were leaving because I was trying to force them to do mindset. I was trying to force this. And at that point, I was really, really frustrated. And I got to the point where I felt I needed an out because I was driving around the town where my whole life was supposed to be built. I got, I met my future wife there, I got married there, I started my business there, I consulted for the high school I was in there, and every day I would drive the routes that we would drive. So I had that reminder all the time. So it really started playing mental games on me big time. So even though I was working on the mindset and stuff like that, this is why I say it's never about just one thing. At that, at that time, I would say that the mental game was getting a lot better. But the environment, the life aspect, the environment was not good for me. The, the environment was too negative for me. <clears throat> so I needed to get out. I knew I needed to get out. But wanting to look after my guys, so here's another caveat of the story. Wanting to look after my guys, I really wanted to help them out. The two coaches that were with me, I really wanted them to move forward. I had to make a decision. Do I close the business down now because it's not doing well, because we were going down big time and fast? Do I close the business down and let them go on their own and not know what's going to happen to them? Or do I try and sell the business, what's left to it, to a current client that was interested? Being a client of mine for four years, got very interested in wanting to continue the legacy of what I built at that time, was really big fan of everything. Me being so desperate at that stage of wanting to get out, at that stage, all I wanted to do was leave the country again. I just wanted to get out, get away. Not even Cape Town, which was a thousand... 400 kilometers away was, was far enough. I needed to get out of the country. So here's the mistake that I made. I made them draw up the contract because why? I was so desperate. I just wanted to get out of my situation. I said to him, listen, yeah, yeah, 
you drop the contract. Let's just get this done. We get it done. Within two months, I left the country. They haven't at that stage paid me a single cent for the business. They would pay me in installments. I trust these people. I mean, they've been my clients for four years. I really know them well. Once again, biggest business lesson ever. When it comes to business, you, you don't know people. People will do funny stuff when it comes to business and money. And long story short, I lost everything. Everything. They took, they didn't pay a single cent for the business. They, hang, they hanged on to that business for about 10 months, didn't want to give it back to me. And just before they gave it back to me, they told every single client in there that they are going to change. They're just changing the name and they're moving to a new facility. Not saying that I was going to take it back. They took all the clients because obviously at that point, they built connections with my coaches. They had that personal relationship with my coaches. And they moved one kilometer down the street, took all my clients with me and gave me an empty shell with a couple of pieces of equipment in it. That's what I got back. Wow. Yikes. That hurts, brother. Big time. So at that point, I literally lost everything financially. Mm. Everything like it was gone. Now we had the stress. I had the stress. Um, you could just think that my mental capacity just got thrown for a curveball there, because I was just making progress with this with this whole mindset thing. At that point, mm. things were starting to make sense to me. I was feeling positive. I was feeling powerful. And then this happened, and I fell into a victim role. I really did. I fell into this victim thing as why would someone do this to me? Because my intentions was to actually help coaches. My intention was this. My intention was that. But sometimes these things just happen in life. That is life. It happens. And I learned a massive, massive lesson from that, that I lost everything and you just got to try and pick yourself up. And that's been a battle. It's been the hardest thing for me ever to try and rebuild after losing my business. Like I I could never explain to, to people like surely it's different for everyone, obviously. It depends on what your connections look like, depend on opportunities and all these things. But that's been the toughest thing for me since then. I mean, after losing everything, I actually moved down to Cape Town for a year. Moved down to Cape Town, which is 1,400 kilometers. I moved down to Cape Town, couldn't get started up that. And then May of this year, so I'm fast forwarding a little bit because I don't want to keep it too long. But um, in the May of this year, I decided, you listen, yeah, I was depressed every single day. I was suicidal, like really, really suicidal. At 2018 was a bad year for me. Last year was really bad for me. Now, this is me already from, from 2014, just making a little bit of a step forward with the mental stuff or the mindset stuff, then falling back into my hole. Then came the business losing everything. And it's been like a five-year journey for me so far, mm-hmm. where in 2018, it was depression every single day. And what was funny, well, not really funny, but what I, the biggest lesson I learned at that point was as a coach to have so much more empathy for my clients because I've always been naturally a fit guy. It's, it's easy for me to jump into stuff and do, you know, like a Spartan race, whatever. I wouldn't need, need to train. It's like a natural thing to me. I enjoy those things. Mm-hmm. And I could never understand why people wouldn't get results, why they couldn't be consistent, why they couldn't get out of bed until I had depression. And I couldn't. Here's a guy that competed on, I competed on the international stage in, in, in Taekwondo in, in Canada, as well as in Greece. Okay. I could be, so I knew what it was training six hours and I, I couldn't find myself to train for five minutes a day. I was just laying in bed. I couldn't get out of bed. It was suicidal. I remember at one stage, it was so bad that the two things that were going through my head, well, three things mostly was one, I was going to swim into the ocean and, and just keep swimming. And then whatever happens, happens. Okay. 
The second thing is I was starting to analyze my life insurance policy to see how I could take my life so that it doesn't affect the payout of the life insurance policy mm. so that it would still pay out to the people that stay behind. That, that, those were the things I was starting, starting to look at. And the third thing I remember is like, I would wash the dishes because this was like a trigger for me. I don't know why. I would wash the, the dishes and the tears would just start running down my, down my head, you know, my eyes. It would just come down my cheeks. It would just start running there. And I would just cry. And I'm, yeah, I'm standing a guy that was so successful, lost everything. And, and I just can't get myself to, to get back up. Mm. It doesn't matter how hard I try. At that point, understanding. I mean, at that point, I already studied personal development, studied personal growth, mindset, fitness, all these kind of things about being better, being successful, getting results for the past decade plus at that point. And I couldn't get myself out of that hole. It was just, it was impossible. Right. I could not get myself out of that hole. And I, and once again, Cape Town was great, but it was, it was like weird. It was like the South African environment, negativity, looking at the news, all the stuff that was going on. And then at about January, February this year, 2019, I said, you know what? We need to change. It's, 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 it's time to change. Like I, I'm stuck here and I need to change my life. I need to take an extreme risk here and just completely take myself out of the comfort zone because at that point, I stopped being the person that I told you about in the beginning. The guy that would just fly to London, the guy that would just do these things, the guy that would put a pot on his head, start singing a song on the chair in the middle of... I stopped being that guy completely. I got so scared of of everything. I got scared of saying anything. I got scared of people blaming me, trying to please everyone. I really, I really struggled. I mean, I was like feeling victim all the time. And at that time in February, I said, you know what? It's time to make a change. And May of this year, I got on a plane. I took bought a one-way ticket. I sold my car, the only asset that I had left. Got on a plane, a one-way ticket to South America. Said that I was going to volunteer. I was going to volunteer and, you know, start an online business while volunteering, figuring these things out, but not so much about the business, more about me finding myself again. Mm-hmm. Me, me just finding out where I am. What do I need to do? What do I need going forward? Because it's one or two choices. If I stay where I am, I will end my life. I will. Because I just could not see the brightness at all. Everything was dark around me. So either I take a chance and it doesn't work out, but at least I'm taking a chance versus it definitely not working out by me staying where I am. So it was versus a definite versus a maybe. Mm. Got on a plane to, to South America, flew to Brazil first. Um, and as things happened, things just did not work out <laughs> the way they're supposed to work out. The volunteering thing that was supposed to happen where I would get free food and free accommodation to help people out just fell through at the last minute. Mm. Like the people just didn't contact me back. And now I was stuck in Brazil. I was supposed to not pay for anything. I had a little bit of money left in my, in my account and been traveling ever since moving from, from Brazil to Santiago, Chile, to the northern of Chile, through Bolivia, the salt flats, to Peru, from Peru flying to Mexico. And now I'm in Mexico because it was cheaper. <laughs> so I decided to go to Mexico. Yeah. That's amazing, man. That's absolutely amazing. So much moving around, but uh, dude, that's uh, that's powerful all at the same time. Because you you did recognize that your environment was shit, and you had to get out of there. You know. Yes. So when I you... think people, 
people are sorry. I think people underestimate how important environment is. Mm-hmm. They really underestimate how important it is. Yeah, for sure. You, I mean, you used the word triggered earlier, which is one of those words that's been hijacked, but you know, it's spark trigger, whatever word you want to use. Like if you see the same things every day, man, those are actual triggers to everything that's happening inside your head. And it can only take you to that place. You know, if that's what you're feeding your brain all the time, all the time, all the time, you know? So I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm curious though, like looking back on it now, I mean, obviously this is still fairly fresh, you know, a few months ago, really at the end of the day, six months ago, whatever it is, you know, when you look back on it now, like, what are you, what's your perspective today? Like, do you see your role in it or do you feel uh, like other people wronged you? Like, how do you look at it? What's your perspective now? Now, the, the biggest thing I've learned is everyone does. Yes. Obviously everyone plays a role, but I, I do take, 500% accountability for everything I do because if I do not take control of that I am giving all that power to someone else mm-hmm. and there's no ways I can fix that hence me actually saying to you in the, in the pre you know, like the pre-interview kind of thing where I said I don't mind sharing anything you could ask me anything I'll share it I'll be as vulnerable as I need to be because that's how I've grown is like me understanding that listen yeah there is a consequence to anything that we do in life. Anything we do or don't do in life, there is a consequence. You sitting in one place and staying in the same environment, the consequence is things will probably stay the same or get worse. Mm-hmm. Okay? Me jumping on a plane, flying across the ocean with an idea in my head, there's a very good chance it's not going to go the way it's planned. And there's a consequence to that as well. Mm-hmm which means there's always a consequence, always. You just got to choose which of the two consequences are you most comfortable with, mm-hmm. which are you okay to allow? Because that is was one of my growing processes. I went through states. Now, look, when you play victim, you blame everyone. I started looking at my childhood. I looked at my parents. I looked at my clients. I looked at my friends, my ex-wife. I went through that phase where I blamed everyone. Like I couldn't understand because I've always done my best. Like I'm a big values kind of guy. Honor is big to me. Loyalty is, is massive to me. Now, if you, if you think loyalty is one of my biggest values, well, everything that happened to me was the opposite of loyalty and in the way it happened. But I also learned and grew because of that because I, I started to understand that, listen, yeah, yes, these people did play a role in it, but Everything happens for a reason, and I was supposed to learn these lessons. It's made me a better person. It's made me a better coach and mentor, I think, at the end of the day, because I can now offer a perspective that I think very few people can offer because I've seen so many different angles of problems. Like, and that's the thing. I mean, it just, it's made me be better because there was a time where I was arrogant as a coach when I was younger, and I just couldn't understand like, what's wrong with you? You're not committed. You've got, you got to get in. You've got to be committed. Until everything gets stripped away from you, you, you know what the solutions are, but you just can't get yourself to do them. Then, then you suddenly realize, like, you've got to have empathy. You've got to understand for some people it's really, really difficult. And sometimes you've got to tweak things that it's, it's not that difficult for them. But, you know, making those small little wins, that's kind of the big lessons that I learned from it. Yeah, that's huge, man. Empathy is one of those things that's definitely not talked about enough. I'm curious if you have a technique that you use, like you know, if you're in a, a tough situation dealing with someone or a situation and you know that you need to provide some empathy, but it's just not coming for you. Is there a particular way that you look at other people to, to engender that feeling inside you or 
Does it just sort of happen naturally for you now? I think I think it happens naturally now. I, I would probably say that I would I always wanted to help people, so there was always that little bit of empathy to a degree. But I would say that my little bit of empathy was always overshadowed by arrogance. Mm. Um, I, I would say arrogance because it was a lot of confidence, but not necessarily in a good way. Like it would, I would say it would lean towards arrogance. That was what empathy now comes automatically because. I think once you face a lot of stuff, it's like you just start smiling at these things. Like things would happen and I would just smile. And I was like, okay, that was interesting. How would that work? <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me give you, I'll be 100% vulnerable with you. The two of us talking in now, I am sitting in a foreign country with my fiance. I didn't tell that part of the story because she's a very private person. So I didn't really want to talk about that part. Okay? I'm sitting with my fiance in, in Mexico. In, in the last five months, we've been in countries that speak just Spanish. We don't speak a word of Spanish. Maybe the hola here and the here and there is <laughs> Spanish word that I've picked up. Okay. I have $1,000 in the bank. I have no ticket to get back home. Um, and we are trying to make a business work. And so if you look at that situation, it's a horrible situation to be in because there is no, I have like one month, two months left. And then that's the end of the plan. They're like, if things don't work out, they don't work out. But I've come to that situation now where I've learned to smile and just adapt and, and accept these things and say that sometimes you learn the biggest lessons by taking these risks and growing from it. And I think that's why empathy maybe comes automatically to me now because I've just put myself in so many different situations where I can understand how people feel based on what they do or don't do. Yeah, 100%, man. I think there's a lot of power in that too, though. I mean, when you put yourself in that spot where you know there's no turning back, there's a, I think there's an extra gear that sort of comes and kicks in, you know, and it, it gives you that extra boost when you know that it's, you know, it's make it or fail, you know? It, it's funny you would say that. I, I would actually, don't do what I'm doing. Like, this is really extreme risk. Um, but I would, I would say that sometimes that is necessary, really. It is necessary to push your, because I've seen some interesting things from myself the last couple of weeks. You know, suddenly when you start looking at that funds getting less and less and less, and there's, remember, no network, no contact, everything, everything I'm trying to do building my business is cold, meaning contacting people, no network, nothing. You know, when your back is against the wall like that, you start doing amazing things. You start coming up with things because, you know, there is, there is a moment where I would sit and I would say, we are in a really crappy situation. But if I spend too much time on that thinking, I will go down a rabbit hole where I will stay stuck for the next two to three days. That means I have three days less than what I have now. And I am guaranteed the same as what I had with when I was in Cape Town. I'm guaranteed that things will not work out if I sit and think about it the whole mm -hmm. time. I'm guaranteed it won't work out. So putting myself in that, being anxious but kind of being okay with it because now your back is to the wall and you have to make it work. And you, you come up with cool situations and ways to solve problems if you're forced to do it. Yeah, 100%, man. It brings out all that creativity that you're just sitting on a lot of times. And uh, I know when I've been in tough spots, you start asking how, you know, what can I do? How can I do this? You know, who can I rely on? You know, what can I leverage? And then all of a sudden, you know, your mind starts to give you answers that you never thought about before. You know, because you're in that space Definitely. where you're actually asking better questions 
and better questions yield to more interesting answers. And it just continues to flow like that. And the next thing you know, like, like just listening and just listening to your story and talking to you, like, I know that you're going to be okay. Like I have no doubt in my mind that everything's going to work out for you because you have the right mentality. You have the correct sort of perspective on, on the thing. Like no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. Like maybe the business works, maybe the business doesn't work, but you're still going to be okay. You know? And exactly. I think a lot of people lack that belief. And, and, you know, when it comes to someone like yourself, who's been very adventurous and, and yeah. seen a lot, you have, you, you have that belief regardless, you know, it just emanates from you. Exactly. And I think that's, that's why I've always put myself in that situation is that's only grown that amount of belief in myself is because every time I face this stuff, I, I can smile now and say, listen, yeah, that was actually too bad. It looks really, really bad when you stand on the one side. But once you go through it, it becomes easier and easier. And the, the belief just grows and it just grows. Let me just ask you this, since uh, we're having some, some technical issues. What does success look like to you nowadays? Success to me nowadays looks purely like taking what, what, what I've learned, all the lessons that I've learned, and truly making a difference in, in, in multiple dimensions to people's lives. Showing them that, listen, yeah, there is more that you can do out there. It's literally limitless, the stuff that you can do. And people are kind of getting out of their comfort zones because I think the interwebs and how great it is like that. I mean, you've got to get out there in the world. You've got to see the world. You've got to experience things. And, and I kind of want to help with that. So for me, success is at the end of the day, changing people's lives, uh, coaches on the one side and then clients on the other side, having that freedom life where I can still move around and change people's lives all over the world. I don't want to, I, I don't think I'll ever be stuck in one place. It's always me being curious and seeing more about life. Yeah, definitely. I don't see, I don't see you being tied down to one spot for very long at all. <laughs> it just doesn't fit your personality. Definitely. Awesome, man. So before I ask my last question, tell these folks how they can get in touch with you online or in person uh, if they're looking to get some coaching from you. Yeah, sure. So you can just search me on Facebook. I mean, we can connect on Facebook. You just stay on Redmond on Facebook. And then uh, I'm just putting the final touches on the website, limitlessdojo.com. Um, they could just go there and they could just contact me through there. I think that would be the best way to connect. Fantastic, brother. And my last question is always the same, and that's simply this. What does wellness mean to you? Wellness, okay. Wellness to me, like I said, it's, it's, it's about that multi, multi-dimensional approach. Um, having living the life that you want, but from three dimensions, mind, body, and life. Um, I think that's what wellness is, is in general and living that, living that life that you want. I mean, I'm all about being limitless. I'm, I'm all about living a life with meaning. So wellness comes into play with that because I've seen that with my journey. If the mind, if something is wrong in the mind, it will affect the body, the emotional capacity that it will affect your life. If something is, is wrong in the body energy that would affect the way you move you know the way you perform in your business or your work or whatever it is that you do and then like i've said before with life is things like environment if your if your environment is not great then you're going to struggle a bit if your connection and your relationship like what happened to me if that kind of carpet gets ripped underneath your feet you don't have those kind of stability things in place that also throws your life out of sync so it's always good to find that balance between those three things. And that's my philosophy on wellness. That's beautiful, man. I appreciate you sharing that. That was um, 
Very well said. And I couldn't agree more. I think it definitely is multidimensional and it's something that a lot of people, you know, could, could well use rather than just focusing on one over the other, because as you said, I mean, all, all three are important, so important in fact, that I think we should make it part of the curriculum that we teach kids as they come up so that they have these skills, you know, instead of learning them late in life, like, like you had to, and like I had to, you know, it'd be nice to have that as part of, you know, training for young adults coming into the world. But, um, man, I want to thank you so much for being with me today and sharing your perspective and your story. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing story, brother. And, uh, it's, it's so cool to have you be so vulnerable and so open with, where you were and where you are and what you're creating and the energy that you emanate, man, is fantastic. I know you're going to draw the resources and people that you need into your life to create the things that you want to create. I've certainly been drawn in and I'm happy to be a resource for you. So definitely reach out to me if I can be of support. And uh, with that said, guys, if you're looking for coaching, be sure and reach out to Stian at the the locations that he mentioned on Facebook and also Limitless. I think it's LimitlessDojo.com, is it not? That's it. Perfect. Yeah. LimitlessDojo.com. I'll link all that up in the show notes. Uh, Thanks for being here, brother. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man.